Welcome back to Respect the Dead, the podcast where we don't. Sweaty, it's no surprise that everyone celebrated your demise. And now, worms are eating your eyes. So don't you worry, rotting head, as you sleep in your sodden bed. It's time to respect the dead. Hi, everybody. I'm Hoots. I'm Kaylin. And I'm Andy. Okay, so I'm not going to tease this one out with you guys. You know what I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't do. need any preamble. Let's get to the bottom of the motherfucking ocean. Let's get there. So, Let's go do it. For a period of about two weeks last m- month, there was like only one thing that I was tweeting about. And uh, everybody knows what it is. Uh, we're going to talk about the Titan submersible explosion. Yeah, I like how I already learned so much because I didn't know it was an explosion. I was like, was it an explosion? Was it an implosion? It was an implosion. Did it get eaten by a whale? It was an implosion and implosions like explode as well. They go implode, explode. I think I saw you tweeting about this. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, it's technically an implosion. I'll probably use the words interchangeably at some point. Um, It's the same idea, though. Um, Thing go boom. (laughs) As most people listening to this podcast know, the Titan submersible was part of a small fleet of submersibles owned by a company called OceanGate. Um, (laughs) OceanGate was founded in 2009 by an American businessman named Stockton Rush, which like just as like a little sidebar, like if you were if you were like writing like a comedy sketch about like a san francisco like a silicon valley like uh venture capitalist and you named him stockton rush i'd be like like take it a step back like that's too on the nose nose. yeah yeah a little too obvious literally like if you told me that um what's his face from uh don't look up uh like the the tech guy from don't look up was called stockton rush i would believe you (laughs) <laughs> so it's formed it was formed by Stockton Rush and his partner Guillermo Sonline. Stockton had grown up in a wealthy San Francisco family and as a kid, like a lot of kids, he wanted to be an astronaut, but as a rich kid, he'd really had the kind of resources to make that a reality. So he studied hard, he got good grades, and he started scuba diving at the age of 12 and achieved his commercial piloting license at the age of 18, which is kind of a remarkable thing, not just in terms of knowledge and skill, but again, in terms of privilege, because to get any kind of a pilot piloting license, much less a commercial one, uh, takes hundreds of hours of flight time, which is prohibit- yeah. Yeah. prohibitively expensive for most kids and most adults, like most, yeah. most normal people that want to become commercial pilots for commercial airlines, like end up with about the same amount of uh, student debt as somebody who becomes a doctor. Jesus. I actually know somebody who was trying to become a commercial airline pilot and then she decided to take a bit of a break and she's going to go, I think for her, just her private license instead or, or something. But mm-hmm. she was talking, she was explaining some of the stuff that you're talking about. And yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's hard. It's hard. It's a lot. It's very expensive. But he like, he grew up wealthy enough that like he got that by the time he was 18, his parents paid for you know, um, him to to learn how to fly and to learn scuba diving. Like piloting is a is the typical avenue that you uh, 
take to become an astronaut. You usually uh, go work for the Air Force or as an army pilot or something. And you like scuba diving, um, like a lot of a lot of the training that astronauts do involve um, like water recreation because it's it's similar to the weightlessness of space Mm -hmm. um so like his his hobbies were very tailored towards this end goal of becoming a uh, an astronaut when he was a kid so stockton actually again like he was he was aiming to uh join the military um because that's your your easiest avenue to becoming an astronaut but stockton failed the physical exam for military pilots uh because his vision was too weak so he kind of just immediately gave up on the dream of becoming an astronaut, but he did uh, achieve his bachelor's of science in aerospace engineering from Princeton. And in 1989, he received a master of business administration from UC Berkeley, both very well-respected institutions. So like, how bad was his vision that he was not able to be a military pilot, but they were like, oh, a plane full of people? Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. The military has higher standards than, you know, commercial airlines the american uh, military yeah yeah <laughs> okay to fly I a learned, plane is, I yeah. something new every day <laughs> you could you could join the military with poor vision and do like office work like, oh, there, gotcha, there are gotcha. a lot of jobs you can do but like he yeah i mean yeah it depends on the job you're doing will, will affect where you can go yeah yeah he specifically he right, specifically okay. wanted to join the military to become a pilot, and they said, "You can't do that. Here's some other jobs you can do." And he was like, "Well, no, I don't want to. I don't want to serve my country. I want to be an I astronaut. I don't want to do that. I want to go to space." <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you're super confused. <laughs> mm. This is about yeah. me. I don't like to f- and my I don't like journey. to file papers because I don't like to get paper cut. So. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, it makes sense because, like, the... If it's not what you want to do, then, like, whatever, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, kinda, I get it. I would I'd probably do the same thing. Like, well, screw yeah. this. I quit the whole thing. He's not joining the military to get, like, his student debts paid off yeah. or whatever. Like, he doesn't need to be there. So if yeah. it's not going to be what Beneficial you to him. wanted to go, then he's not yeah. patriotic. Fuck off. Yeah. But he still considered flying and scuba diving um, as hobbies throughout his life. Uh, he even built his own plane at one point, his own like experimental plane that he flew his entire life. He just oh, like cool. kept his experimental plane in his backyard and fly. I, it wasn't actually in his backyard, but that's what I like to imagine. I would believe it was in his backyard because he sounds like someone who could have a very large backyard. Maybe. Maybe he had his own little <laughs> right. like, airplane hanger in his backyard. Yeah, A little runway. Yeah. He worked as a venture capitalist in San Francisco for a while before moving up to Washington and working for remote control technology in 1989, which is... Is like, that the name of the company? Yeah, it's the name of the company and it's exactly what it sounds like. They make remote I, I just find that very funny when that happens because like... In today's standard, you don't want to name your company something that's like nearly impossible to Google. Yeah. Because like every other remote control company has like yeah. their own name <laughs> and branding, and you're just like, oh no, we're we're food we're food selling store. It's like <laughs> food subsidiaries. <laughs> In 2006, he took his first trip on a submarine in British Columbia, and this ignited his interest in deep sea diving. So we're going to call this one another L for Canada. Oops. (laughs) Sorry about Jordan Peterson, everyone. (laughs) 
I appreciate you apologizing on behalf. And you're welcome of for your Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say we love Celine though. And actually, while we're talking about deep sea diving, we love James Cameron. Give it up for oh, our he boy. Canadian? He's Canadian. Oh, you're welcome for that too. Then he Shh. built the movie that sank the ship that they were going to go see. That's right. It was so fucked up of him to kill those 1,500 people just so he could get a movie. <laughs> but the it, the footage was fantastic. It was amazing. When that guy hit the rotor. So off. good. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Unscripted. Uh, that was the improv. That. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's a real pro. R.I.P. <laughs> he was a real pro. The P stands for pro. <laughs> Rest in professional. <laughs> it's resting. Yeah, it's like the G is cut off. It's got the little posture. <laughs> Stockton specifically gets interested in the idea of owning a submersible, which is um, for, for everybody listening, a submersible is different from a submarine in that a submarine is autonomous. It can dock and it can sail great distances by itself, etc. Whereas a submersible is essentially sort of a tender vessel. It's smaller and it needs a mothership to actually transport it to and from the right coordinates of wherever, wh- um, whatever the planned dive site is. And then she's it, more up and down, right? Yeah. She she basically just dives down like like it like an elevator. More like a corkscrew for most of them. Um but yeah, um they can't they don't have the um the power to kind of transport great distances. Uh, but usually because they're so very, very small, they're better for the fine work of like exploring shipwrecks or um doing like very specific yeah. like Things like laying cable. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. At first, Stockton had just planned to purchase a, a submersible, but he quickly learned that there are only a few privately owned submersibles in the world, like double digits. There's less than 100 privately owned submersibles in the world, and probably not many more than that owned by governments. Like there are not that many submersibles. The mere submersibles that James Cameron, Canadian icon, used to film the wreck sequences of Titanic were literally borrowed from Russia. Oh, damn. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he constructed his own miniature submersible using blueprints provided to him by a retired U.S. Navy submarine commander. The vessel Rush constructed was um, four meters long, 13 feet long, and capable of diving to, to a depth of 10 meters or 33 feet. So like, one of those cool free drive, free diving swimming pools, basically. Yeah, I was like, like, this is not, not (laughs) this is nothing. Yeah, that's one that he like just built on his own um, by himself. So it's still impressive. It's like building I mean, your own yeah, plane. I guess. But yeah, it like could basically go to the bottom of one of those really freaky free dive pools. <laughs> I, I like I hate those things. Like watching those like TikToks of people free di- diving down those things. It really freaks oh, me absolutely out. Not. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Oh, they freak me out. I definitely like um, I have whatever that fear is of thing, seeing things that are submerged. Like I would never want to explore a shipwreck. Absolutely not. Um, because yeah, I just I I don't know what it is. Even like when I I'm a big theme park fan, and when I go to like Disneyland and go on uh, Splash Mountain, and I see or like um, the Jungle Cruise, and like see the um, animatronics that are partially submerged oh, yeah. the idea of like dip mm-hmm. the idea of like walking around in that like knee-high water with like something underneath it makes me like want to throw up and you should throw so. up because that's disgusting <laughs> yeah 
So part of the reason I find all of this so interesting is because I find it (laughs) terrifying. The idea of being in a submarine, a submersible, anything like that, Mm -hmm. or going to space, like that's one of my big fears. Like I can't watch a movie about people in space without Mm -hmm. immediately getting so claustrophobic. And I'm like, why would they do that? I will not go anywhere I can't take an Uber home from. Like... I also have no interest to go to space. There's nothing um, up there. Mostly because there's no. nothing there. Like here we have Trader Joe's. But if somebody was like, okay, you have to take one of these trips or we'll kill you, either deep sea or space, I it would be space, like not no contest. Like I would much rather get shot in a rocket up into the sky than like ride a submersible down to like the Mariana Trench or something. Yeah. And I'm the opposite. I find the idea of space absolutely terrifying. I would never want to go yeah. to space. So if I had that choice, I'd be like, yeah, put me in the ocean. Put me in the ocean. Fuck it. I'll get eaten by a giant squid. I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to be in space. That's just terrifying. And this is the difference between someone who's, who is scared of heights and someone who's scared of like creepy things in the water. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and around 2007, uh, Stockton decided he'd like to form a submarine company. And he and uh, and he founds Ocean Gate with his business partner, Guillermo Sonline in 2009. Now, Guillermo was not on the submersible that imploded and thus is still alive. So I'm not going to dwell on him too much, but he is an Argentinian American startup guy. In 1998, he founded a speech recognition company called Milo and also really bad SEO, Milo. Also bad. I guess you could Google Milo speech recognition, but yeah, when it's, when your company is just named a guy's name, like, come on. And he also advised on a bunch of tech startups in Washington, D.C. In 2003, he founded the International Association of Space Entrepreneurs. Uh, eventually, this became the Space Frontier Foundation, Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> which, which was slash is a nonprofit meant to encourage entrepreneurs to develop aerospace ventures and space travel startups. So the, the budding commercial space industry. Yeah. Right. And in 2006, he founded a for-profit angel investors group for aerospace ventures called Space Angels. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. There's definitely been talks at like the Conscious Life Expo or whatever, where people talk about Space Angels and how to get one to take notice of you. I feel Space Angels sounds like some kind of like early aughts, young adult television series with a bunch of teenage girls who are in space and they're really and they're good looking but they 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 Mm, solve space crimes or something the space angel diaries (laughs) yes good looking and diverse it sounds like i can't explain it yeah they're also very (laughs) light-skinned all very very euro features very light-skinned but like like, one of them's diverse we have four people with brown hair in it yeah, they're all white, <laughs> but you expected one to be blonde, and that's very diverse. I'm just talking about the vampire diaries now, but like, <laughs> you know, I can't explain it, but like, something about space angels also sounds like something that would be on Neopets. It does sound poorly translated from something. Am I alone there? Kind of. <laughs> Well, Space I, Angels <laughs> just sounds like it would be a pet on Neopets or a game or something. A, spa- a Space yeah. Angel. Anyway, 
In addition to his space stuff and Ocean Gate, Guillermo also relaunched a nonprofit member association for the Marine Technology Society intended to support students and industry professionals in marine related fields. And he founded the Sea Space Initiative, a project meant to encourage collaboration between the ocean and space industries, um, because there's a lot of overlap between the aerospace and deep sea industries. Uh, I guess they're both kind of considered the the last two frontiers. Yeah. The plan with OceanGate was to acquire five vessels that could be leased to paying customers and could be used to operate undersea tours. They started with Antipodes, an existing submersible that the company purchased for around $300,000 in 2009. Three hundred thousand dollars, also for That's like cheap. a submersible. Is, yeah, like that doesn't sound much. No, that I don't know what the going rate for submersibles are, but like I feel like, yeah, like a a, a decent like upper middle class um, salary for one seems like on the low end. Yeah, I would think they would run at least like a million. Yeah, or that's a couple what I was million. assuming. Yeah, like, yeah that Same. seems really low. You could get a submersible for less than a house. (laughs) Right. Ocean Gate's first tourist excursion with Antipodes was conducted in 2010 and operated out of Catalina Island in California, uh, just down the road from me, where they mostly just went down and like looked at fish and stuff. They continued to use Antipodes for tourist excursions throughout the United States, as well as working with the University of Washington to conduct sonar and robotic arm trials. And in 2011, they used Antipodes to survey the wreck of the SS Governor, a ship that had sunk in Puget Sound in 1921. Puget is like, not a pretty name. I know I always point out when something is a pretty name. But like Puget is not one of them. I think any name that starts with Pew just doesn't, you know, Pubert doesn't have a Puber. very pretty. Shout out to the cutest to baby in the world. <laughs> The plan to acquire already existing submersibles pivoted to creating their own submersibles in 2013 in an effort to be more cost effective. Cost is going to be the tragicomic running theme of Ocean Gate and Stockton Rush, who was first and foremost a businessman. <laughs> Spoilers. He, he was quoted in a fast company <laughs> interview from 2017 as saying, Turns out one of the reasons was that people had not looked at the business aspect of operating a manned sub because operations were funded by governments through universities and research. Nobody thought about cost. Nobody thought about revenue. And then what happens when they do? I mean, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Never mind. (laughs) We're going to find out. We're going to we're going to find out. Like there are (laughs) definitely some places to pinch a couple of pennies. Like, maybe you don't put the straws on the condiment stand in a cafe because people will, like, grab a bunch at once or they'll yeah. grab one if it's too full and one will fall out on the floor and then you have to throw it out and that's a waste. But on, like, manned craft that are being Going into the bottom of the ocean. The bottom of the ocean? <laughs> like, maybe we spend the pennies instead. Yeah. <laughs> and just that, that, that thing of him saying, like, oh, they weren't thinking about the revenue. It's like, yeah, because they were probably worried about the safety or some other yeah. concerns first. Or they were they thinking were f- about the revenue, which is that people will not pay right. to, to go on your, on your submersible if it implodes. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it was like it was in his quote. It was like people. It was it was these submersibles that were funded by governments that were that were u- using them like in collaboration with universities to do research. The the point of them was exactly. not to make it money. wasn't about making a profit. <laughs> and he's like learn. nobody's making a profit. That's silly. I better come in here yeah. and fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and fix it, he did uh, with his corpse. It is. We're we're mostly focusing on Stockton Rush because he is uh, dead. Um, mm. But it is also notable that Guillermo Sonline left the company at this time that mm-hmm. he pivoted. Now he's quoted as saying that he left because the company transitioned to engineering, which which he said was Stockton's specialty. Citation needed, um, not his. I mean, he built um, things, I guess. But it is interesting that he did leave around the time that they pivoted to making their own submersibles instead of uh instead of instead of acquiring them because like everything else about his career didn't suggest that he had anything against building submersibles i my conspiracy theory is like that he that he knew that this was a bad a bad move mm-hmm. um, and like also yeah. a ceo doesn't need to be an engineer like elon musk is not an engineer like right, you can he's be, not no you can be the ceo and co-founder of a company um and not have like not know how to make the things that your company makes you hire people for that right like have you ever tried heard elon musk try to explain how any of his shit works he has no idea he's just like it just it just does it it's like you talking to like your your grandfather about how his television works. Like he I, he's like I just hit this button and yeah. then it turns on to my program. <laughs> he's so dumb. My grandfather's dead, Mandy. And you know what? I'm glad that so Elon is Musk isn't. I'm glad that Elon <laughs> Musk isn't having any kind of role in building Tesla because they'd be I blowing really, up even more. I, than know, I, mean, I would want to <laughs> operate anything okay. he's made. Everybody pause. <laughs> Because I was like, my grandfather's dead, Mandy. And Hoots was like, and you know what? I'm really glad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, where are we going with this? <laughs> like, oh, damn. Yeah, grandfather's go, go died, off. Kaylin. Okay, jeez. Like, actually, Kaylin, surprise. This episode's about your dead grandfather. He's, He's a real a piece of piece shit. Of shit. Piece of, we're going to really hard pivot now to talking about your grandfather. Yeah, fuck you, Mr. Kaylin. Fuck you, Kaylin's grandpa. Nazis guy. Fucking power move. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I forgot about your grandpa yeah, waving yeah. his dick around in front of the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, okay, sorry. So, O- I just Ocean I couldn't Gate. let that lie there. <laughs> Ocean Gate starts by building the Cyclops One, which was rated at 500 meters and completed in 2015. Now, 500 meters doesn't sound far. No, it was How it was a shallow fucking ocean. It was a shallow like, water submersible. Do you need a submersible for that? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. How many meters do you explode <laughs> as a person? Over five hundred. Oh, um, I mean, I, you don't want to free dive down to five hundred meters, even with like a little string that has oxygen going through it, <laughs> a little tank. <laughs> okay, I just I can't picture five hundred meters, so it's like it's hard. Let me see five hundred meters in feet. Oh, two miles. Oh, okay. So it's about it's oh, about a man. third so of a mile. It's like it's a third of a mile. Okay. okay. Five hundred meters. Compared. Oh yeah, kilometers. How tall is CN Tower in meters? Five hundred and fifty-three. Okay, now I'm seeing it. 
<laughs> I needed something like for scale. <laughs> okay, so there's a tower. So yes, a vehicle that could take you that far down in water. So for looking at like fish and shit, or for looking at like there are a lot of shallow shipwrecks. Tragically, there are a lot of shallow shipwrecks. Now with Titan, a lot was made of her carbon fiber hull. And the hull for Cyclops 1 was also planned to be a carbon fiber hull. But Ocean Gate instead acquired a 12-year-old vessel, uh, Lula, from, an, from a company in the Azores. And it, it extracted the cylindrical steel hull of the Lula and used it to create Cyclops 1. So they, they just like they just like retooled upcycled. another. Yeah, they, yeah. they upcycled. <laughs> they upcycled the different submersible. Uh, so Cyclops 1 did not have a carbon fiber hull and was also rated at much shallower depths than the later vehicle that we're going to be discussing. As I said, Cyclops 1 was a shallower water vehicle made in collaboration with the University of Washington and was used to take tri trips down to the bottom of Puget Sound. OceanGate ordered the first titanium components for Cyclops 2 in December 2016. Cyclops 2 is the vessel that will be eventually rechristened to Titan. Okay. OceanGate intended for Cyclops 2 to be the fleet's first deep-sea submersible, and they contract Spencer Composites in January of 2017 to design and build the cylindrical carbon fiber hull. OceanGate is going to go on and claim that the Applied Physics Lab at University of Washington, Boeing, and NASA partnered or advised them on the construction of Titan. And after the submersible implosion, every single one of these organizations will issue press releases saying that these claims were boldface lies by Stockton Rush. <laughs> like, University wow. of Washington literally came forward and, and was like, we worked on Cyclops 1, but we had nothing to do with the Titan. And like Boeing and NASA were like, we have no idea what this fucking guy is talking about. <laughs> we don't about. know her. Yeah. <laughs> While his new submersible is in development, Stockton Rush immediately starts putting out press releases announcing his intention to use it to operate tours down to the wreck of RMS Titanic. He also does that Fast Company interview I mentioned before, which was released on... April 14th, 2017, 105 years after the Titanic struck the iceberg, which I think was a very tacky move. Yeah, just and, a little. <laughs> and it was clearly done on purpose, and mm -hmm. I thought it was tacky. And in it, he outlines his real plans for the future of Ocean Gate. Deep sea motherfucking drilling, baby. No, there it is. <laughs> oh, there no. it is. Drill, baby, drill. I didn't know this. <laughs> yes. So this is the exact quote. The biggest resource is oil and gas, and they spend about $16 billion a year on robots to service oil and gas platforms. But oil and gas companies don't take new technology. They want it proven. They want it out there. So the business plan for OceanGate was to prove their technology through these mm. Titanic mm. expeditions. Okay. Titanic... Titanic rests yeah. at an incredible depth. Uh, it's 2.5 miles below the ocean surface. It is so deep that fewer than 200 human beings have ever actually visited the gravesite in the 37 years since her final resting place was discovered. So, yes, very few vessels can actually reach that kind of depth. And if you're trying to prove your submarine technology, I guess that is like yeah. a decent proving ground. 
Additionally, Titanic is probably the most famous shipwreck in history, and people Mm -hmm. go absolutely nuts over it, including me. So Stockton was hoping that the Titanic tours would make the business profitable enough to begin the next phase of Ocean Gate. So basically, he was like getting the people, getting his fucking crash test dummies to pay for his project. Yeah. That he was going Mm -hmm. to sell to oil and gas companies. Like real piece of shit stuff. Now, the Fast Company journalist, Melissa Locker, who interviewed him, uh, pressed Stockton Rush on how he felt about the environmental and ecological repercussions Mm. of building submersibles for mining and oil companies to use to drill into our oceans. And his response was very interesting. Quote, I view it like needle exchange. These things are going to happen one way or the other. We're not going to be involved in oil production. We're just going to be involved in inspection, repair, and maintenance. And the cheaper you make that, the more you'll do it. I fucking hate this analogy because a person getting clean and needles. A needle exchange. A person getting clean needles as like part of a harm reduction intervention isn't also getting everyone else on the planet high with heroin. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's so different. (laughs) Not even remotely the fucking same. One of them, you're helping someone oh at like God. an individual level saying like, okay, I, I know you're struggling with this addiction here. At least it's a way for you to be safe while you do this. And the other is yeah. f- fucking fucking up our planet even more <laughs> so that everyone's getting and hurt. And if, the, hero- like, if the heroin addict fucks up and overdoses, they're the only person who dies. If somebody destroying the environment fucks up, fucks up and we destroys all die. it too hard, we all die. <laughs> Look what's happening right now. Half the world's on fucking fire. <laughs> Jesus. I uh, fucking hate this piece of I shit. I hate it. Yeah. And like, I'm not actually going to be involved in oil production. I'm just going to be helping a I'm little bit. I'm just helping them. So you're involved. You're, you're involved. involved. You yeah, li- what, what is it's involved literally your mean? business plan. You're not, you're not literally, out there you on the make rig money yourself. Off of them. Like, and how are they going to make, what are they going to do with your technology? Like, <laughs> Jesus. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> yeah, he's a real piece yeah. of shit. And I'm so glad that this story has a happy ending. <laughs> yep. Cyclops 2 was completed in 2018 and renamed Titan. So before we get into the missions and problems with Titan, I want to talk a minute about her construction. And to do that, I'm going to have to talk about PSI. Um, I'm going to talk... Uh, toss around a lot of terms like PSI or atmospheres of pressure. So to understand those terms, PSI stands for pounds per square inch. Uh, And one atmosphere of pressure um, is the mean atmosphere of pressure at sea level. So like roughly where the the amount of pressure on us right now, depending on, you know, I think we're all at sea level roughly, um, which is about 14 pounds per square inch, 14 PSI. So like Mm -hmm. every day we're walking around with roughly 14 uh, PSI in in pressure, like pushing on us, depending on you know what, how close to sea level we live. People who are up in the mountains have like a little bit less, and uh, people who are down at sea level uh, have around fourteen pounds. The inside of my bike tires is um, around forty to sixty psi, which is more pressure than outside, uh, which is again around fourteen psi, which means it has outward pressure because there's more pressure inside of the tire sort of filling it out and pressing it out. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Likewise, the pressurized cabin of an airplane is an example of outward pressure because there's less pressure, air pressure outside at 30,000 feet above sea level, um, and the pressurized cabin is pressured to sea level. 
Submarines and submersibles are subject to inward pressure due to the billions of pounds of ocean water pressing on them from all directions. Titanic sits at a depth where the pressure is around 6,000 PSI, um, which is about, yeah, (laughs) it's about 408 atmospheres of pressure. So anything sitting at that depth is subject to about about 400 times the weight of the air around you right now. Mm -hmm. So a question that I saw like popping up a lot on Reddit and Twitter around the time that all of this world was happening, like all the world was obsessing about this and we were all tweeting about it all the time is... Why, if the submersible couldn't withstand those depths, the Titanic isn't just like crumbling under the weight of the ocean? And the answer... Isn't it broken open? Um, yes. And the answer is differential pressure. So, and also the Titanic was never pressurized inside. Yeah. Like it's not going to implode. Like it wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> right. It was just all open and... So like, yeah. if it's not a balloon, then why can't I pop it? Like, I don't understand yeah. the question. So you're understanding <laughs> you're you're understanding differential p- pressure, which is something that like uh, again I saw this question popping up a lot. So like um, for anyone who was wondering that who is listening, differential pressure, which is what uh, scuba divers tend to call delta P, I like to call it DP because I think it's funny, is it's something cute. that a lot of scuba divers in shallower waters have to worry about because if you're swimming by like a pipe or something with an air pocket, uh, you can basically get like suctioned into the pipe and drown due to the change in pressure. And that suctioning is due to drastically different pressures trying to regulate themselves. And with something like uh, pressure equalizing very suddenly with a submersible at extreme depths, the result is an implosion. It's it's violent. Uh, whereas an already waterlogged ship sinking like Titanic, it's kind of already at an equilibrium. So there isn't like that violent change in pressure. Human bodies will reach this equilibrium as well. Like um, if your rib cage, like your rib cage will crush and your eardrums and blood vessels will burst, but your corpse will largely remain intact. Um, and following Titanic sinking, any victims who weren't wearing life jackets just sort of slowly rained down onto the wreck um, where they were eventually devoured by deep sea critters. Um, and we know their final resting places based on pairs of shoes that have been found together. So single shoes were likely in luggage, but anywhere where shoes were found in pairs, there yeah. was presumed to have been a corpse at one point. Um, and in certain cases, uh, coats and belts were also preserved down there. So you've got like an entire outfit sitting where I guess there's not that much movement right no I mean there's a little bit but it's the seas down there are very calm um mostly things that have moved around again have been like eaten up by like deep sea crabs and stuff and I mean the decay of the human body does occur faster at those depths because of like the pressure and because of the salt water like your bones will dissolve faster any any like meat would have mm-hmm. been eaten up right, like, yeah. before it had a chance to decay. But like bones decay faster um, at that rate. I think I read somewhere that the bones would have um, kind of dissolved in about five years. Oh, that's fast. Yeah, yeah that's it's really much fast. faster than I'm I'm going to put all my bodies in the ocean. Yeah. So if, if I explained any of that wrong, um, please feel free to tweet at us about it, to leave a five-star review and tell me what I said wrong. But let's talk about the construction of Titan. The three most infamous details about the Titan submersible at this point are as follows. 
that it was an experimental design with a composite titanium and carbon fiber hull. Uh, the main body of the vessel was made of carbon fiber with titanium rings, hatch cap, and viewport. Two, that the Titan was an electric vessel uh, controlled with a wireless Logitech controller designed for the PlayStation 3. Oh my God, it was and- wireless? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and three, oh no. That the passengers were bolted into the vessel from the outside with no egress. (laughs) A couple of weird design quirks that maybe didn't get as much media attention are the color, uh, which I was bitching about a lot. It's white, which doesn't make it super easy to find if it's lost and bobbing around on the surface somewhere. Right. And uh, and (gasps) that's why submarines are like yellow. Yes. And that's why that's why lifeboats, uh, if you ever go like on a cruise ship or something, lifeboats are always orange or yellow um, mm-hmm. because they have to find you somewhere if you get right. stuck because in the middle of the fucking ocean. Yeah. Because they actually weren't just concerned with revenue. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't because I mean, like, I don't know this for certain, but I'm pretty certain that Stockton Rush just wanted that cute little Apple aesthetic, which is why yeah. he painted it white. He was like... It, it's, he's got like he had permanent terminal tech bro brain, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is the unique teardrop shape. So spheres are the strongest shapes. Most deep sea vessels' main hulls are small and spherical. But Stockton Rush wanted to take tourists with him to the ocean floor, so he opted for a weaker, more elongated design. The hull, as I said, was commissioned by Spencer Composites, who also built Virgin Oceanic's Deep Flight Challenger, not to be confused with James Cameron's Deep Sea Challenger, which was also designed to reach the base of of the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. Uh, Deep Flight Challenger, unlike Deep Sea Challenger, was never successful. It never successfully completed that mission. And some of the initial testing in that vessel determined that if they were to take it down to those sort of depths, the composite hull, which is made of carbon epoxy with a viewport made of quartz, could only make the journey once. So just put a pin in that. Challenger Deep is much deeper than the final resting place of Titanic, but make make a note of that like one trip thing when we're talking about the Titan and composite hulls. Yeah. Before the announcement of the construction of Titan in 2015, Stockton Rush actually sought advice from a marine technology company, Doer Marine, on constructing deep sea vessels. And Doer's president, Liz Taylor, not that Liz Taylor, but a different Liz Taylor, uh, specifically warned him against using carbon fiber. In 2023, she recounted that carbon fiber specifically, quote, has been shown to not be very happy when it's being immersed, first of all, and then being hollow on the inside or just one atmosphere on the inside, and then having the tremendous pressure of the ocean trying to push in on it. It's not the right material. (laughs) She sounds like she needs to mind her own business. If if a couple millionaires or sorry billionaires want to go down there in a tin can, who is she to tell them what to do? Stockton Rush felt very similar, similarly to the way you do, <laughs> Kaylin. He did not like being told that his ideas were bad. 
(laughs) In the days following the implosion, lots of news outlets would report on an interview Stockton did where he said he didn't want to hire a bunch of old white guys because he wanted to inspire the next generation of submarine engineers. And that's why he staffed his company with pretty much only recent university grads. Uh, And a lot of (laughs) a lot of right leaning figures uh, have run with this narrative that this was due to wokeness because of the old white guys comment. But it wasn't. It it wasn't about wokeness. It was because Stockton Rush, A, didn't want to have to pay experts and B, didn't want. I was about to say. Didn't want anybody contradicting his stupid ass ideas or his vision. Yeah, Yeah. he wanted a bunch of yes men. He wanted a bunch of inexperienced people who will go, yes, that sounds like a great idea, sir. Yes, indeed. Yes, kings. (laughs) Classic Aries. Be like, yes. In 2018, Ocean Gate's director of marine operations, David Lockridge, documented a number of safety concerns he had about Titan, and he was fired for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In his complaint, Lockridge also expressed concern over the carbon fiber hull, mentioning that a scale replica of the hull that had previously been examined showed prevalent flaws and urged the company to have the vessel certified by an official agency, but they refused to do so because that costs money think of the revenue (laughs) think of the revenue uh lockridge also expressed his concern over the viewport which was only rated to depths of around 1300 feet while the vessel was intended to travel (laughs) to the rms titanic at depths just shy of 4000 feet so like this is a thing that a lot of people have brought up um in the in the time since the implosion like the the rating of the carbon fiber hull might have been exaggerated anyway, but it, it was rated at 4,000 feet. Um, however, the viewport never was. The viewport was rated at 1,300 feet. But I'm sorry, if any part of your submersible is not rated at the correct depth, it will catastrophically yeah. fail. Don't. Don't take it down you can't there. Just be like, so the window's gonna be a little weird. What do you is gonna happen? If, if if the window can't go further than that, then don't take it down there. Yeah. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. It's like, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> <laughs> so Lockridge launched a whistleblower complaint with OSHA, the Occupa- Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and OceanGate fired him. And filed a lawsuit against him, claiming he violated do. the terms of his employment by sharing that information. He, they were like, uh, "You can't go to OSHA. You signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> you Baby, tattled that's not on how that us." Works. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think NDAs trump OSHA. You know, like I think. I don't think trump so either. <laughs> I think in I that don't. game of rock paper scissors, OSHA wins. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't like attorney-client privilege. Right. <laughs> uh, so rightfully so, Lockridge like immediately filed a countersuit for unlawful deter- uh, for unlawful termination, and they settled out of court. Stockton Rush really, really just wanted that carbon fiber hull. Um, I think basically because he had a background in aerospace and carbon fiber is mostly used in that field um, in like avionics. Um, it's like, I know what I like. Yeah. That's my metal. Like, like some people are like gold. Mm, some people are white gold. Silver, some people are silver. Yeah. Yep. Some people are carbon fiber. Carbon fiber is his rose gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very, it was a very 2017 moment. <laughs> and okay. So I think he liked it because like he, he's a wannabe an astronaut guy. And also 
because it's a very lightweight and durable material. And again, he wants to sell these things to private companies and individuals. So he wants something that's going to be really lightweight to transport. But like, like this thing, you could put on the back of a semi and drive it around. Do you want lightweight at the bottom of the ocean or do you want exactly. heavy duty? Right. I want I want something a little little thicker. I want a thick a thick something. Military <laughs> submarines. Military submarines are made out of titanium. Okay. Like like I I don't know what deep sea challenger was made out of, but I would be willing to bet it was like titanium and quartz. Like somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. If if James Cameron found a way to make some kind of carbon composite work whatever like i i trust what james cameron knows about deep sea diving because he knows more than like anybody on earth i swear to god he also got the input of like experts governments <laughs> yeah experts and governments on people this. who know like, what the fuck they're talking about yeah. he was he was not just like being a maverick on his own anyway maverick it's my we're we're sending up a lot of love to james cameron in yes. this episode <laughs> you james a lot of the info I got about the weaknesses of the construction of the vessel came from a video released while the submersible was still technically missing by a YouTube channel, a YouTube channel called Subbrief. Um, and I'm going to link the YouTube video in the show notes for this so that people can go watch it. Subbrief is run by a guy called Aaron, who says he was a contractor serving aboard U.S. Navy submarines for 20 years. And his videos are just like really cool deep, deep dives, pun intended, uh, mm, into, got it. into subs and submarining. So in his video on the Titan, he brings up the fact that carbon fiber, when it fails, doesn't crack, it shatters. Oh, good. Yeah. So any failures in carbon fiber in a carbon fiber construction are pretty much catastrophic failures. There mm -hmm. is you you have yeah. no time uh, to fix the the issue or to like resurface. Yeah. You're, you're I mean you're dead before the issue yeah. before you even know there is an issue because it is so fast. Like if you start noticing like it's already done uh, cracks in the hull or whatever, like you should technically, yeah. Like if it wasn't carbon fiber, you could start to like go back up and hopefully the pressure would lessen and maybe you could make it. But like shattering, <laughs> like, yeah. which is what they had planned to do. And um, it sounds like likely what they tried to start to do. Um, so the Titan was equipped with acoustic sensors that would essentially drop like automatically drop ballast and send the vessel back up to the surface when it detected the sounds of carbon fiber disintegrating. But again, oh. like that is kind of hilarious. But again, like the, by the time the carbon fiber starts to disintegrate, um, it's, it's too late. late. And, and that was a point that was also highlighted by David Lockridge in his complaint. He literally said by the time those acoustic sensors would go off, you would have milliseconds. And right. look what happened. Now, yep. Titan has had several other manned expeditions to Titanic. Most of them were aborted partway down, but a few of them did make it and back up again. Um, I don't know that the actual number that did is reported, but, but some did. And former passengers aboard Titan reported hearing the sounds of the carbon fiber straining and were told that it was normal. And I'm going to send you a link to a video that... Oh, God. Of what that sounds like. Oh, no. <laughs> this is going to be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, it's like it'd be like the fucking abyss again. It's it's like a two minute video of what carbon fiber sounds like as it's breaking. 
I do not care for this. Oh. Ah, I can't listen to that. That's so that the cracking. I have to turn it down. It's freaking me out. It's like Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like literally disturbing. Like it's yeah. it's like the sound in a movie when glass is slowly cracking, like like in like a web. Um, but there's something more like uh, I don't know. I felt that in my bones a lot oh, more. Oh, oh, like oh, there's, there's something very unsettling about it. Like not even in the context. Imagine of you're like, in a vessel going down in the into sea, the sea, like just watching it. Yeah, and yeah. you're just hearing the crackling around you as you're going down miles below the surface. <laughs> it's so freaky. I can't look away. Yeah. It's unsettling anyway. And all the comments under this YouTube video that's just like carbon fiber breaking AS- ASMR are like other people who looked up what carbon fiber sounds like breaking and are like just talking about the Titan. <laughs> just being like, imagine hearing this going down into the sea. Uh, one of the other issues Aaron from Subbrief brings up is the Logitech controller. Now, a lot of people were making fun of this at the time, but Aaron actually says that using a video game controller to operate an electric submersible is like fine. Like any controller will work and video game controllers in particular are pretty easy for most people to use. And they're sturdy. They're meant to be like whipped at the wall by angry young men. (laughs) Yeah, they are sturdy. (laughs) It is just for like steering your electric vessel so like it's fine but the issue he brings up is the fact that it's wireless like you're putting the wireless part so much faith in bluetooth well also like do you know how often i have to like resync shit that's wireless why would it be wireless also bluetooth i know that they're like in a vessel so it's not really like the same but bluetooth famously does not work through water it like, can't be Bluetooth. That maybe it's some kind of other wireless. Uh, what yeah. other kind of wireless is there? All all the modern, like unless it was like um, you know, like a wireless mouse. Yeah, uh, that has like a little dongle that you plug in. I guess it could be like that a dongle. It didn't have a plug anywhere. It was it was literally a Logitech PlayStation Three controller. Wait, Logitech PlayStation Three? Yeah. Is a Logitech controller used for the PlayStation 3? PlayStation 3. That little, 3. like, white guy. Yeah. Um, PlayStation 3 controller. Did PS3 have Bluetooth? This is important yep. information. So it was Bluetooth. <laughs> Get away. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's a terrible, terrible idea. Aaron also expresses surprise that Stockton Rush, an aerospace guy, would design a vessel in which passengers would be bolted inside, citing the Apollo 1 tragedy in which three astronauts perished during mission mm-hmm. training, uh, mission testing, when an electrical fire broke out inside the cabin of their spacecraft. The hatch doors were unopenable from the inside, and it took crews five minutes to open them from the outside, at which point not only were all three astronauts astronauts dead but two of them had melted to their seats oh yeah it was really it horrific was horrible. like yeah. surprising no one i went to space camp when i was a kid and it was right up up there at, at like nasa it was next to nasa so we like part of space camp was like doing a tour of like of nasa and like they've got like um 
memorials to them there. And it's so, it's so fucked up. Um, the risks from electrical fires are famously much worse when you're in a vessel that you have to pump oxygen into. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Speaking of oxygen, <laughs> Titan was, according to Ocean Gate's promotional materials, equipped with 96 hours of it. In his YouTube video, Aaron questions whether this number was theoretical or put through any actual testing. <laughs> like, did Stockton Rush put this thing in his driveway for four days and sit in it? Like, he also questions if there was any carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide capturing equipment aboard because you could have 96 hours worth of oxygen yeah. but still die of carbon dioxide poisoning if you're breathing out. Right, because it. it's not being filtered out. You have yeah, to yeah. have, like, a balance of, of carbon dioxide and oxygen. Yeah. So you remember how I asked you to put a, put a pin in the whole, like, deep flight challenger only being no. able to make one trip thing? Yep, I okay. do. <laughs> yes. That was due to the fatigue the incredible depths would place on the submersible's carbon epoxy hull. Titan's carbon fiber hull had also started to break down and weaken with fatigue during its initial testing phase from 2018 to 2019 and had to be replaced entirely in 2021. Like, Deep Flight Challenger's mission has been placed on an indefinite hold, whereas Titan kept running manned civilian expeditions down to Titanic with Ocean Gate, I guess, just planning to replace the hull like every three years, like the head on an electric toothbrush or something. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> but like, the hull is the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, and like, and so that happened during its initial testing phase, like, they tested it right. for a year tested, and that was happening. Yeah. Isn't that proof that your 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 design doesn't work? If it's breaking down during the testing um, phase, you've tested it. It doesn't work. Go back to the drawing right. board. Find another right. material. Have, Get, you, it, it, have you considered that a man said it's going to be fine? Because <laughs> you're not acting like you've considered that. <laughs> like They're putting a lot of fucking faith in being like, oh, it's fine. We'll just replace it every few years. Like It's not like... It's not like getting your oil changed. Look, it's one thing when your car, yeah, when your car is making a weird noise and you just kind of <laughs> listen to it for six months before you do anything about it. This is a vehicle that's going underwater at ridiculous pressures. And if anything goes wrong, everybody on that vessel's dead. In like, let's not overreact, so Mandy. Like, what are the chances of that happening? <laughs> Well, guess what podcast you're on, Kaylin? <laughs> hey, that's a great transition. Let's talk about the Titans' last voyage. Yeah, let's I really do thought it. you're going to be like, let's talk about the podcast they recorded on the vessel. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? Well, that'd be so fucked up if there was a podcast. If recording. they did record oh it, god. we wouldn't have some it. kind of audio. Be, like, <laughs> like <laughs> the recording equipment oh, no, would no. be destroyed that in fire. Yeah. The crew of the Titan were CEO Stockton Rush, probably acting as captain and tour guide, Paul Henry Narjolet, one of the world's experts on Titanic, who really should have known better than to be there. Uh, like, <laughs> right? What was he doing there? Like, Dude! <laughs> less experienced divers than him turned down Stockton Rush's invitations to get on that carbon fiber death tube. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no, like literally so many people turned him down being like, I have some safety concerns about your vessel like uh but Narjali was probably also acting as a tour guide and pilot uh hamish harding a bit a, a british businessman and adventurer who had also had a great deal of diving experience and had 
sort of into space. I know, right? That's not a profession anymore. (laughs) He literally was, though. I don't like I don't think he did anything anymore other than like did like, you know, like stuff like diving to. I guess the ocean is like the place yeah. you adventure now, right? Like you're not like yeah. adventuring no. on Earth, like on. So on he'd like land. Um, he'd he'd sort of been to space. Um, he was he was one of the crew on Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin NS twenty one suborbital flight. So like the near end of edge of space, um, and he'd been to the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. Okay. And uh, Shazada Dawood, a British Pakistani businessman and philanthropist who, according to his family, had a deep interest in the Titanic, and tragically, his 19 year old son, Suleiman. Yeah. The one person I actually do feel sorry for. Yeah. It's the son. Suleiman's aunt would later claim that Suleiman was terrified and only went on the expedition to please his dad. The trip down to Titanic was on Father's Day. Uh, But Suleiman's mother contradicted that. She said that she actually gave up her seat on Titan for Suleiman because he wanted to go. Either way, it's unimaginably tragic for the family and for Suleiman. Um, Like, I can't imagine being his mom. um, Yeah, that's that's awful. You were supposed to be on that vessel. But also, like, I can't imagine bringing Um, your child on something like that. Like, Yeah. They're the only two who I feel like, because they have no, at least according to, like, the... Um, stuff that I could find about them online. They don't have experience with diving and stuff. So I I think they, they really just didn't them. know. Yeah, they they didn't know what kind of, what they were getting into. Yeah, they um, were like, oh, I'm sorry, is this carbon fiber? I'm not getting on there. Yeah, like, they, don't, they just trust, oh, the CEO's going? It's got to be safe. Yeah, that's fair. Like, obviously, right. why would he go down with us if it wasn't? Like, yeah. Like, that's something I would say. Like, well. Yeah, he's, same. He's going, so like, Obviously, it's got to be okay. Yeah, um, and I like I don't give a shit about anybody else involved, but like that little baby didn't deserve to die. No, he didn't. In the in the first few days of the Ocean Gate Titan um, Reddit group, um, guys, I was I was on so much Reddit during this. You time. fucking um, so sicko. The, so. <laughs> I know. I Disgusting. I was like one of the. I've I've only ever been a lurker. I've never been a poster. But I was one of the first people to follow the Ocean Gate Titan <laughs> <Reddit> group. <laughs> An anonymous throwaway account made a post titled "I knew Suleiman," and I'm just going to read it. It's it's short. Throwaway is I wanted to make a tribute post to my friend. I met Suleiman at university as we went to some of the same societies, mainly board game society and the volleyball club. He was an insanely kind and funny person, and I really enjoyed spending time with him. I cannot believe he is gone. I didn't know that he was on the sub until I saw it on the news, and I couldn't believe it. The last few days have been filled with hope that my friend would be found safe and sound. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I will miss having him around, as will all of our friends. I wish all the best to his family and, of course, the families of the other people on board. I just wish I had one last opportunity to tell him just how much I appreciate him being there for me. I'm going to miss you, Suleiman. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. It's really sad. And like he was in like the board game society. Really nice. I know that killed that. That's it's very sweet. Like everybody else yeah. was like, what about the revenue? Let's, let's conquer the world. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm just going to go see the Titanic with my dad for father's day. 
his mom said that he uh, took a um, a Rubik's cube with him because he was going to, because he, he took, there's videos of him online, um, Suleiman solving Rubik's cubes in like 19 seconds. I think his, his um, fastest time was like 12 seconds. And he was going to try to, I guess, set a record for fastest solving of a U- Rubik's cube at that kind of depth, like down at the Titanic. He was just being a little nerd. He was a little nerd. A little, a gorgeous he, little nerd. He looked, he really yeah. looked like such a good kid and he didn't he deserve a, this oh, to happen. Nerd baby. Yeah. An expedition down to Titanic and back in Titan lasted about eight hours with three to four hours being spent down at the wreck. Passengers had to sit on the floor like this. I'm going to send a picture. Oh, I think I've seen this picture I mean, before. Everybody's seen this picture, but let's. Yeah. Let's just do uh, as this soon again. as I knew you were doing this, Hoots, I stopped looking at everything that came up about it. Perfect. Because I didn't want spoilers. So this will be probably the first time that I've seen this. Okay. I'm going to send an actual picture of them sitting there. Cozy. No. So cozy. It's so small. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, absolutely the fuck not. In that pos- God, my back. Sitting in that for eight hours in that position. No. You could not wear shoes or strong perfumes because you're packed in there like that. You couldn't even see anything. There was one toilet, a unique feature for submersibles, which was separated from the main part of the hull by a privacy curtain and was located right in front of the viewport, which is very cocaine coded. Yeah. Um, I'm going to send now I'm going to send a um, like a, a an illustration of what what the inside of it looked like. With the toilet and everything. No. Uh, <laughs> like the little guy. <laughs> you got your little toilet next to the viewport. Yeah, you know, that must be quite the feeling taking a shit while looking at that. <laughs> Is that actually what it looks like? Yes. That's actually what it looked like. It's it's a an illustration of it next to um next to the It's a piece of picture. shit. Yeah, like a little pinched off poop. It looks like a piece of shit. <laughs> No, no, sorry. Like, I don't even, I guess technically, yes. But I mean, it looks like crap. Like, it looks like it was like, like thrown together last minute. I've made like more (laughs) cohesive looking things in Blender. Like what all these like pieces are hanging off and there's like, like, yeah, it's not. Oh yeah. my god! Even if the hole. If I saw that thing, I would definitely. Where it attaches on the side. (laughs) Like, nope. I would not. I would not go twenty right. feet in this. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like Jesus, twenty-two feet long. Yeah. So that's like three me's laying down. It's. Oh my god! It's that's so, so small. It's so tiny. Like really. What the fuck? You like. And again, that shape. Okay, being at the bottom of the sea is like fucking claustrophobic. But, but in like, that, even more in this, yeah. yeah. And then that's that's that shape that Hoots was talking about earlier. How it's not a very uh, yeah. structural sound shape. <laughs> yeah, They're, like I've literally seen sandwiches bigger than this. <laughs> You cannot be you cannot be like a bigger stuff. guy and take a trip down in this thing. You no. cannot be no, a bigger no. guy. No, like. Like, this is for skinny, short people. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. On June 16th, the expedition departed from St. John's, Newfoundland, aboard the research and expedition ship MV Polar Prince. 
The ship arrived at the dive site on June 17th. That night, Hamish Harding wrote on Facebook, due to the worst winter in Newfoundland in 40 years, this mission is likely to be the first and only crewed mission to the Titanic in 2023. (laughs) A weather window has just opened up and we are going to attempt a dive tomorrow. The dive operation began on June 18th at 9.30 a.m. About an hour and a half into its descent, Titan lost communication with Polar Prince. Now, that was not an unusual... Is that expected? That was... Sorry, you were about to yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was not unusual for Titan. Apparently, losing comms at depths uh, was just another one of those things that Ocean Gate would shrug at. In May of 2021, <laughs> TV host Josh Gates and his camera operator did a test dive in uh, Titan in Puget Sound, and their dive was aborted due to a number of technical issues, including the loss of comms and the onboard computers becoming non-operable. <laughs> Oh my god. In subsequent dives, apparently the loss of comms at certain depths was just something that they told customers was normal. Uh, Josh Gates and his team were invited by Stockton Rush to take part in a Titanic dive in June of 2021, and they declined citing safety concerns. Um, (laughs) Smart. (laughs) Smart people. Do you guys guys know who Josh Gates is? No. No. He specifically Is that Bill's Bill's husband? <laughs> no. He my parents are obsessed with Josh Gates. He 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 specifically does like adventure um TV hosting. Like he goes to like oh. I think it's I think his place is his one of his TV shows is called like Expedition Unknown or something. Like he's specifically an adventurer. Okay. And he was like Okay, you're not I, taking I me down. But a lot of adventurers. Yeah. I did not realize this was a profession. No, I didn't know yeah. either. <laughs> Very much so. He's super cool. And he was like, there's no fucking way you're getting me back in that tin can. Sorry, carbon fiber can. <laughs> <laughs> The frequency of this loss of comms is probably why the crew of the Polar Prince waited eight hours to report the Titan missing. Uh, The submersible. The Polar Prince is such a gay little. I know, the little Polar Prince. What should we call it? Like, I don't know. It's kind of a little print, right? But something that I can list in the middle of February. (laughs) Polar Prince. Little Polar Prince. The submersible was expected to resurface at 4.30 p.m. And at 7.10 p.m., the U.S. Coast Guard was notified that it was missing. <laughs> Not them waiting an extra, like, three and a half hours, yeah. which is, like, which is like what? Like, what percent? How many hours of oxygen do they have? 96. So they have four days. Okay. So those three hours are, like, still pretty, like, three or four hours are still really significant. And, I mean, okay, so now there's, like... Unless they had already there, there is like an investigation um, into the crew of the Polar Prince at this point because, like, th- th- yeah, they might they might have waited longer because there was a, a loss of comms, but there was also an immediate loss of navigation, um, and a loss of comms and navigation usually means a catastrophic event. And also, yeah, they had sonar equipment, so they probably heard the implosion and. Maybe maybe they didn't have the... They were like, what's that? Yeah, maybe they didn't have the expertise to know what they were seeing, or maybe they were kind of ignoring it and waiting mm-hmm. to call the Coast Guard. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that part. I don't know. Um, they have been all interviewed now. Um, I can't remember by who. I think maybe by the uh, Canadian government. 
It's like when somebody knocks on my door and I pretend I didn't hear it because I hope it's just somebody with a package and they'll leave it. Yes, and just that. Like, okay, we'll we'll check. I'll check in like after I feel like they're gone. Except for in this case, um, like a bunch of men uh, got turned into atoms. Yeah, uh, they like saw they they lost communication and saw a big spike on the sonar, but they were like, it's probably just like a a whale farting. Yeah. 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 A U.S. Navy acoustic detection system detected an acoustic signature consistent with an implosion some hours after Titan submerged. And the Navy reviewed their acoustic data and passed the information about the possible implosion event to the Coast Guard. So this is like one of those things where like Navy saw a possible implosion, passed the info onto the Coast Guard, like once they knew that there was a missing vessel that they were like, uh, yeah. I think we know what happened to it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, because if you just like if you send something that's like I don't know, n- like anomalous, but yeah, you're not aware. You're like, not oh, looking it for like it. A, it sounds like a a a carbon fiber submersible exploded. Yeah. That's what the the radar <laughs> looks like. And they're like, but that there there's only like a handful of these in the world, and why would you make it out of carbon fiber? It's like and in the shape of, of it. <laughs> well, funny story. <laughs> <laughs> On the sonar, you just see this little piece of shit like floating. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they weren't even looking for it. But then, like once they found that something was, once they heard that something was missing, they went back and yeah. looked at the like looked at the tape and was like, oh. Oh, oh, that makes that's sense. That's what that was. <laughs> Damn it. I uh, thought that was Steve. <laughs> Steve, the sonar trickster. <laughs> so he's, he's always going outside, banging two pots and pans together underwater. Just a that guy little, scamp. A little scuba deer. <laughs> and then he swims away. <laughs> Giggling to himself. In spite of this, the Coast Guard proceeded with a search and rescue mission. They were told about the 96-hour oxygen supply, which would have expired on the morning of June 22nd. Uh, And the United States Coast Guard, United States Navy, and Canadian Coast Guard led the search and rescue efforts with assistance from the Royal Canadian Air Force and United States Air National Guard, a Royal Canadian Navy ship, and several commercial and research ships and remotely operated underwater vehicles. So, like, everyone's really coming together to save these rich guys. <laughs> now, <laughs> with no backup plan. <laughs> with no backup plan. They're like, honestly, more, more concern and research was put into Mandy flying here to see, to see us. Yeah. We in, had like, some preparation backup for her flight, <laughs> then, like, these men did like she was watching youtube videos i was i was like interviewing experts like hoots and and my friends who had traveled on planes before i was like i was doing so much research i was reading articles and everything and these guys and they're like oh it's got to be safe the ceo it's fine Give me a submersible. That would never work. I deserve one more than them. Mandy would be like, I've heard of CEOs. They're the stupidest fucking people on earth. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, I will not do anything they do. If there is anything to learn from this episode, it is that. Like, do not listen to a CEO. They're all dumb. They're all dumb. They don't know anything. Not everybody listening has been on Twitter, but like, we've all got like a front row seat to this lesson yeah. over the last like six months or whatever. But like here's this here's a second uh a second opinion on yeah. how stupid CEOs are. Here's just a little a, another little document to support your case here. <laughs> 
Now, during this time, pretty much every civilian submarining expert at the time said that these motherfuckers imploded. Like, But for that four-day window, a lot of the world thought that there was a chance they could make it and that they were you know, somewhere lost and could be found alive. Which is also terrifying. Which is far more terrifying. I honestly think implosion was like the most humane way they could have gone. Yeah. But I just want to say for the record, uh, they they could not. Um, it is literally easier to rescue people from space than it is to rescue them from the bottom of the ocean. Uh, the, deep, <laughs> the deepest rescue in history Damn. was the rescue of two men from the Pisces 3, which was a submersible that became partially flooded while laying telephone cables off the coast of Ireland in 1973. Uh both men aboard were rescued after three days with about 40 minutes of oxygen left. Oh, like, my God. Jesus. Yeah. The story of the Pisces 3 is a miracle. Like, go look it up. It's so cool. But they were rescued from no, a No, you have to tell me about everything <laughs> to do with submersibles. You're my submersible friend now. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you off, I'll tell you off mic, but I will okay. say in the book that in the book that one of the guys wrote about it, I forget his name, uh, but in the book that one of the guys wrote about it, he said that there was like there was like a pod of dolphins that were like hanging out with them for the whole 3 days that they were no. down there. And as soon as they Just got waiting pulled for them up, to die. Yeah, I was like it's either they're waiting to eat them or they're like concerned. Uh, but they were like chilling yeah out there and he said they dispersed the second they got rescued oh which is kind of cool that's nice but nah damn dinner's not coming in boys (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but the pisces 3 was rescued from a depth of about 1575 feet or 480 meters that's nothing titanic rests at 12,500 feet or 3,080 meters. No. So if they hadn't imploded and were stuck somewhere near the Titanic. How would they even have got them? There are very few submersibles on Earth that can reach those depths. And of the ones that exist, most can really only use robotic arms to like cut a submersible loose. If it was like trapped on some light debris on the Titanic or something, they don't have the capability to to tow another like possibly waterlogged ship to the surface. There's no way to rescue. To like reach out and grab the ship. Like I'm like, what is this like some sort of like gosh upon or like one of those like claw machines? We do have robotic arms. Claw would come out. Okay. Okay. A lot. But th- that's do what we I was have saying. robotic hands? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. Like, if there was, if there was, um, if it was like caught in some light debris down there, um, robotic arms could cut it loose. Uh, because yeah, that's but what, to like grab a whole ass submersible and they just and they lift yeah it? they can't lift it. They can't lift it. Um, they can grab things. Right. They can cut things, okay. but they can't lift because we use um, yeah. we use unmanned submersibles to do things like laying cable nowadays. As we should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is what like oil and mining companies use as well. They use unmanned submersibles. Um, The reason Stockton Rush wanted to sell these manned submersibles to oil and gas companies is because a a real human is better at problem solving in a moment when something goes wrong than like a computer. But Mm -hmm. problem solve an implosion. Yeah. (laughs) But like that, it's, it's just, the 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 risk is so much higher when you're putting a real person down there than a clumsy yeah. fucking toaster like so it's better to have the clumsy toaster so at- well yeah it's like the risk is you have to get a new toaster yeah 
not like you can't get a new person. No. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So, so yes, we do have submersibles that could have cut it if it was like caught on a bit of light debris or could have moved a bit of light debris, but there is nothing on earth that could have dragged them back to the surface. Like if they were alive and they were down there, they were, they were going to die. And if they were alive and they were down there and the controller had died, (laughs) whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I was wondering. It's because if even if that were the case and they had to bring them back up, they would have had to get them much earlier on and be able to grab it. So, like, there's one use case of, like, sending a submersible down and helping them. And it's only if they were, like if their shoelaces got like stuck on something or whatever. Literally. It's like, only if they got caught on something and the, yeah, the vehicle yeah. was still usable, like yeah. uh, was still in working order. Um, oh the, my God. The most tragic outcome, in my opinion, would have been if they hadn't imploded and had managed to resurface and were yeah, just bobbing just somewhere on, on the, the waves, Fuck. like looking exactly like a white cap, just slowly running out of air. That would have yeah. been the worst. Yeah. But... They did implode, which honestly I think would, is the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, I mean, not imploding and and having a, a <laughs> vehicle that works, like the, the everybody yeah. being fine would have been better. But like uh, they were going to die somehow and it's way if, better yeah. to die. like Instantly. Uh, yeah. I mean, you die instantaneously in a case like that. It, you, there's no suffering. You're, you're dead before you're even aware of what's happening yeah, to you. You just wink out of existence. Whereas with the slowly starving to death or losing oxygen yeah. is way worse. Yeah. At 1.18 p.m. on June 22nd, hours after they were supposed to have run out of air, the U.S. Coast Guard's northeast sector announced that a debris field had been found near the wreck of the Titanic. Um, and here is an image of the sonar of a sonar map of the debris field and the titanic okay titan debris field location titanic bow and i'm also going to send you a more detailed picture of the titan debris field so that that first map that i sent is like how close it is to the titanic it's like 1600 meters or something and then now i'm going to send you a closer image of the titan debris field Yo, is there still an iceberg I mean, around there? I assume there's a lot of ice, probably <laughs> less than in, you know, 1912, but because of global warming. Okay. <laughs> the, mm. the ghost of the Titanic is warming the planet to be like, fuck you, you fucking fuck glaciers. You. <laughs> so the second image I, I hit, like you can zoom in on it and zoom in on the picture um, below of the Titan debris field. And you can like see the shape of the vessel down there. Oh, yeah. You can see it was like it was like crunched in the middle like a fucking tin. This is, tin, this like is a sonar looking at the ocean floor. Yes. So the the picture on the bottom is the Titan debris field and the Titan looks like a like a soda can that you just like crushed with your hand. And there's like a whole bunch Oof. of debris around it. Do we know what this yeah. distance is? Um I think I read that it was like 1600 meters. Um from the Titanic. I can't remember if I put it in my notes. Yeah. Like, if there was any fucking light down there, you could probably see the Titanic in the distance. Like. Damn. If there is a silver lining for the passengers and their families, it's that their deaths would have been swift. Uh, they wouldn't have even registered what was going on before they winked out of existence. According to Dave Corley, former U.S. nuclear submarine officer, when a submarine hull collapses, it moves inward at about 1,500 miles per hour or 
2,414 kilometers per hour. Um, and that's uh, 2,200 feet or 671 meters per second. Uh, the time required for complete collapse is about one millisecond or a thousandth of a second. And the human brain responds instinctually to a stimulus at about 25 milliseconds. So they wouldn't have even registered what was happening. Yeah. When the hull collapses, the air auto ignites and an explosion follows the initial rapid implosion. So it just goes. Why does it ignite? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure I know. I would I I would think it's maybe like the friction caused yeah. by the by the like all of the molecules moving very quickly, but I'm not I'm not sure. That's a question for a physicist. That makes that would make sense, yeah. Yeah. So as of the time of this recording, the U.S. Coast Guard has announced that they have found presumed human remains, um, but it probably isn't much. Um, probably just like some mm. partially incinerated bone fragments because they yeah. would have they would have burned up in seconds. Um, but the U.S. Coast Guard did see that that they did announce that they found presumed human remains, but they haven't stated what they are or what condition they're in. Now, there's a version of this story where it had just been Stock and Rush on his own, and he was like this crazy rich guy who just like spending his own money on building experimental submersibles and his hobby killed him, where I think it almost would have been like kind of romantic. Yeah. Like, I don't have a people, I don't have a problem with people dying doing what they love. I assume, like, I assume Harrison Ford will die crashing his plane one day because he loves crashing his plane. <laughs> And having read a bit a bit about the other passengers on the submersible, I assume that P.H. Najolet and Hamish Harding also probably expected to die on some adventure someday and had made peace with that fact. Yeah. Like, I think that is fine. If it had just been Stockton Rush, or even if it had just been those three men, um, I there, there's a part yeah. of me that would have been like, well, they can they can go how they want to go. But what I... Dying, doing what you love is like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. What I cannot reconcile but. is the deaths of the two Dawood men. Yeah. As I said, Stockton had issued several invitations to various public figures and people in the field who declined on the basis of safety. Narjale and Harding probably knew the very real risks and were still willing, but this one dumb rich guy and his son did not. Uh, neither did the passengers on previous missions. You sign a waiver saying that you might get injured or die, but if you sign, but you sign that waiver like doing just about anything these days. Like I've been, I've been skydiving, which is statistically one of the safest like things that you can do. It's yeah. certainly statistically safer than like getting in my car and driving every day. You have to sign a waiver like that to get your nose pierced. Yeah. You have to sign a waiver saying you might <laughs> die doing almost anything. So I don't think that that's something that would really stress to someone who doesn't know what to no. look for. The very real risks of doing these dives period, but also specifically doing these dives in in that submersible. Yeah. And sadly, even if the implosion of the Titan dissuades people from deep sea tourism for a while, as the nascent industry of commercial space tourism starts to grow, I think we're going to see many similar incidents in the skies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. One of the reasons the story of the Titanic remains so captivating to us, uh, one of the reasons it feels you know, so, so much more melodramatic than other maritime tragedies is because it's ultimately a story of hubris. It almost feels like a parable. Titanic's parent company, White Star Line, touted her as unsinkable and she and was eager to prove that she was also the fastest ship. So the captain ignored 
warnings of an ice field. The ship was equipped with more lifeboats than was legally required, but still not enough to hold all of her passengers, and the ship lookouts weren't equipped with binoculars. And as a result, 1,500 people died. But despite the outrageous and irresponsible decisions that led to the Titanic disaster, there were many stories of incredible heroism displayed by some of the people who died that fateful night. So even though Titanic is a story of hubris, it's sort of a like romantic story of hubris. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy, you know. Titan is also a story of hubris, but a much stupider one. <laughs> But without the romance, <laughs> completely without any romantic elements It is to one it. that perfectly encapsulates, pardon my pun, the arrogance and greed of billionaire venture capitalists who desperately, desperately want to be respected as pioneers and experts, but aren't interested in investing either the work or the money into actually becoming experts in their chosen field. Rather, they repeatedly ignore the advice of real experts, choosing instead to cut corners and costs, ruining and sometimes ending several people's lives in the process. But normally their arrogance stops shy of actually getting themselves hurt or killed. But Stockton Rush was just a little more stupid than the likes of Elon Musk. And that is why he <laughs> sealed himself up into a little pill and got swallowed by the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic was a tragedy, but the Titan is a dark comedy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Respect the Dead. You can follow Respect the Dead on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Respect the Dead. If you want to follow us individually, you can find our socials in the show notes. And you should check out our YouTube channels. We don't shit on dead people there as often, but still, we're making tons of cool stuff. If you enjoyed Respect the Dead and would like to support us, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. If you leave us a review, we can read it out on the podcast. Reviews are the best way for new listeners to discover the show. Give us at least five stars and then share us with a good friend who likes venting about dead people. You can also give us some money over on our Patreon. Patreon supporters get some cool bonus content like bloopers from the cutting room floor and even coming up with a fake sponsor ad that we'll read in an episode. It has to be a fake business though, not your MLM, honey. Thanks so much for listening. Join us every Monday for our next Worm Feast. I'm Kellen Conrad. I'm Ailey Mandy. And I'm Hoots. Bye. 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 Bye.